that was probably the most amazing paddle of my entire life, really, because uh, although the wind died down, the rain kept going. And what it was doing, it was feeding all the rivers and streams that were pouring off these hills and just creating waterfall after waterfall along the coast. So, uh, and it was kind of quite foggy. Uh, so these amazing vistas just kind of kept looming out of the mist and I was going under waterfalls in caves. Uh, you know, and just some of the pictures I took, and which don't really give a, you know, I would say that the pictures only give a kind of 10% of the experience. Welcome back to another episode of the Dode Mode podcast. I'm Dorian, your host, and today we talk to Mike Conroy, in the second part of our series on his circumnavigation of Ireland. Uh, Mike is a super interesting guy. You can go listen to the first episode. And there will be a part three coming as well, so stay tuned. Without further ado, let's jump right in. <laughs> Wonderful. Welcome back. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, how, how are you? I'm, doing I'm doing well. It's a little warmer now. It's uh, it's in the plus temperatures now, so we're we're all good. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit uh, uh, bizarre, actually, wasn't it? Yeah. So got... why were you why were you in your, hiding in your car last time? Uh, I couldn't access a spot with good internet, so I I went to a just a fast food store, um, that had free Wi Fi. <laughs> Very um, uh, yes. Very yeah. innovative. <laughs> totally. So this time I've got an actual room, which is great. Right. So uh, I'm trying to remember where where we left off last. Is it yeah. So a week ago, it seems like yeah, it seems like there's a lot happened since then. Yeah. Yeah. It must have been about two weeks ago, I guess. Eh. Um. I think we left off. You. Uh, it was a place like. Um, you were you were with a woman named Ruth or something like that. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I forget the location. And, and I'd gone off and done lots of cultural things. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right about where we where we left off. So let's pick it okay. up. Okay. Let's pick it up from there. Right. Uh, turn me up a bit. So. Uh, oh. So anyway, I was very energized after that experience uh although it was a somewhat demoralizing waking up in the morning and finding that the <laughs> the weather forecast kept saying it was going to be good in two days and then two days would come and then it'd say be good that good in two days but finally i i was away uh and i set off towards uh essentially the, the cliffs of moa did you did you see those on your, your trip to ireland i did get a chance to visit them they are they're beautiful um pretty touristy but still well worth a visit well they weren't touristy when i got there uh so, so basically i i 
I had to set myself up uh, to get there. And I had an amazing day just cruising offshore. Uh, it was another day when the, the storms were just on the mainland and I was watching there and I was in beautiful sunshine and I was feeling very smug. And I finally got to this uh, fairly wacky place where I stopped, which uh, normally I wouldn't camp there because it was sort of a rocky ledge to get land, but the weather was good, so I did. <laughs> and pretty much as soon as I got there, that the weather that I'd been laughing at uh, caught me up and it started raining quite heavily. So I, I had the pleasure of putting the tent up in the heavy rain, which I miraculously managed to avoid for a very, very long time. And uh, I, <laughs> I, I was right next to this fence and there's some cows within the fence. And I kept uh, getting these, I thought, I'm getting shocks, I'm getting shocks. <laughs> no, I can't be. But I was, because it was a bloody electric fence. <laughs> I kept bumping into it. Anyway, I got I got camped and I was all right and I was up dead early the next morning to because the cliffs of Moa, you know, obviously they they were quite a big thing for me because they're the you know depending on which article you look at that they're third biggest cliffs in uh, Europe and in terms of proper cliffs because they just go straight down, uh, so. I set off really early and I went around the corner and suddenly there I was. And there was this just, there's absolutely no one because I was there, I don't know, eight o'clock in the morning. So I was looking up to see if there's any tourists wandering along and there was nobody at all. And there was this huge Atlantic swell coming. It was very gentle, but you kind of be rising up slowly six foot and slowly down six foot. And I was just, gazing up at the cliffs and I couldn't really get a handle on how big they were and I kind of decided if you imagine the biggest cliff you ever saw and then put those on top of them and then put them on top of them again <laughs> uh, it, it was kind of that big but I, I, I've had this before it's like when I, when I paddled through London I paddled past the Shard and it's it's just so big that you you can't get kind of the scale kind of doesn't stay with you. Anyway, that that was quite a magical experience. I took some photographs. Loads of puffins around everywhere. Puffins are cute. And then I had to head over to a, a bunch of islands. Uh, first one being Inishia, which is not actually the Banshees of Inishia. You know the film? Have you seen it? I have not seen it actually, but I've heard lots about it. Yeah, very weird film. Uh, it's actually it's actually uh, filmed on. Uh, oh my god, my my mind's gone blank on another place which I kind of stopped. Uh, we'll get to that presently. Was it was so? Ackle Island. Ackle Ackle Island. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I stopped. Had fish and chips on in Ashia, and I was contemplating spending the night there when the ferry turned up, and there must have been about 300 uh, young kids who just finished their, their exams, who had come to stay, uh, all totally inappropriately dressed for the weather. 
I thought, oh, no, I need my solitude. So I, I popped over to the next island, which is uh, Inish Man, which is uh, also featured heavily on the film because uh, it's quite an astonishing place. Uh, I think I might have waffled on about the, the Baron and, and, and how all the topsoil had disappeared and everything. So this has got the same morphology, or whatever the right word is. So there was just huge slabs, like tennis courts or football fields of barren rock. And all the locals had just built up all these tiny little fields, the uh, size of gardens, uh, with these really sharp limestone rocks that didn't fit together very well. So you could see holes through the, the walls. And you kind of went up a hill a bit and you could just just see this very strange environment made up of, of you couldn't see any trees or grass or anything. You just see these strange walls. That was fun. Uh, <laughs> I then popped back to the uh, the mainland the next day. I remember that was quite an interesting paddle, paddling against the wind. And uh, I wanted, to, this was coming to a place that's, or a, a bit of coastline that's very broken, uh, lots of tiny little islands, and I kind of wanted to weave my way through there. Uh, you have to get the tides right so you don't get stuck. And I was going along, and I, I just, and this is what I mentioned about the freedom of these these strips. I just saw this abandoned church, uh, so I thought, oh, I go and stay there. So I stopped, and I. Well, I don't know, walked kind of three or four hundred yards up to this church and it had no roof and everything. So I just camped right there. Uh, and it was on an island again and with a narrow channel over to another island and I could see a, another abandoned church on the other side. And uh, I went for a wander later on. And they were saying that when the churches were in their prime, probably about 60, 70 years ago, the priest who had a very nice house, uh, way, way better than any of the locals, used to kind of paddle back and forth between the islands because he, he was he was the priest of both church and give services there, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, so off I went, uh, stopped on another beautiful island, uh, went around a bit of a dodgy corner. Uh, what was it called? Uh and then I ended up eventually on an island, oh, it was a big long crossing, called, uh, oh, where has it gone? Oh, that's it, Inish Boffin. Inish Boffin, which is uh, slowly getting settled by rich people from Dublin. So uh, it's it's got a different feel to any of the other islands. It's, it's a bit more upmarket. Uh, and it's got a very nice pub there. Uh, so <laughs> it's also got a, a castle, uh, an abandoned castle that was set up by uh, Oliver Cromwell. Have you heard of him? You know, in English history, uh, he's kind of Puritan uh, revolutionary that ended up having the king's head chopped off. I always like to think of him as kind of a, a like a version of the Taliban really kind <laughs> of 
uh, you know, he believed in his religion and if he got in, the, got in his way, he'd chop your head off. So, uh, oh God, I get my history right. I think this was after Henry VIII had uh, uh, rebelled against the Catholic Church. And of course, the Irish didn't. So Cromwell, when he was in power and had his army, he popped over to Ireland and give them, gave them one hell of a beating. So he is, uh, he is a bit of a boogeyman in uh, in Ireland. In fact, I, I met people who were faced, whose families, you know, back hundreds of years ago, were faced with the horrible choice of doing his bidding or getting killed. Uh, and of course, if, if he did his bidding, he, he was seen given favours. <laughs> I actually met her. I remember meeting a lady on the island, and she was she was saying that people she met at school had actually been thrown out of their property because their great 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 grandparents had shooed Oliver Cromwell's horses. So. Uh, so yeah, history, history lies deep in Ireland, definitely. Uh, which and it also happens to be uh, there's an abandoned uh, graveyard on this island, and about a hundred years ago, some people came to university or into, I think it's called phren phrenology, where they uh, measure people's skulls, take various readings, and try and work out their intelligence. So they they were after skulls. So they went to the island because they had this habit of leaving the bones in this churchyard exposed rather than burying them stuck them all in a bag and shipped off back to the well off back to england eventually uh telling the local fishermen that they weren't skulls uh and a lady that now lives on the island had spent the last 20 years kicking up a big fuss and she'd finally managed to get the university to, to ship the skulls back to the island, which was a big thing. It was on the national news. And I happened to be, I was stuck on the island for three days. And I happened to be there where uh, there's a ferry comes in every day. And all these cameramen and press people started appearing. And, and we ended up uh, going to watch the reburial of the skulls. And there was singers and musicians and the most Astonishingly beautiful location, just staggeringly beautiful. Uh, sun had come out. You're on this island, uh, and the views over to the mainland mainland were just unforgettable. So that that was a that was a great few days on that island. Uh, met some lovely people, had lots of adventures, wandered around, getting lost, paddled around it, just great. Uh, so I was really getting into islands. <laughs> So fr from there, I was heading to uh, that place I've forgotten the name of again, uh, Ackle Island. Uh, and it was great because to get there, I had to cross to another island in Ishturk and then to another island, Clare Island, then to another. Oh, actually, I stayed on Clare Island. That was good. That's where I met you. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I met this old chap and uh Etc. Etc. I thought I was having the day off, but I didn't have the day off, and uh, off I rushed in my crazy sort of way and bumped into you, uh, and you helped me uh, 
get my show on the road again. Uh, then I had this, yeah. So, so normally most people don't go around the outside of Ackle Island because there's a very safe passage east of it. But I thought, uh, chances are I'll never come here again, so make the most of it. Uh, so I ended up, uh, after a pretty amazing day paddling, it was sunny, uh, I ended up on the beach where they filmed the the house, the main house, where the violin player from the film hangs out, uh, li literally 100 yards away from it. And I guess normally there wouldn't have been anyone else there, but there was... Uh, there's two or three other people while camping because it's because uh, of its newfound fame. Uh, so that was quite that was good. <laughs> I then paddled because uh, one of the things that's famous back at Ackle Island is there's some big, big I, I call them mountains because I'm, I'm English. Uh, so really exposed paddle. Huge, spectacular mountains towering over the sea. I'm the only one there, usual thing. <laughs> uh, feeling very exposed, but I got over it. Got around the corner, and I, I, I was planning to go to a kind of civilised place where there was a campsite and everything. But on a whim, I just kind of pulled up at this... Um, another amazing campsite where I hauled myself up rocks and cliffs and stuff, got camped, and then I found there was a lake. I had an entire lake to myself. So it was just so cool. So uh, I normally eschew go this uh, <laughs> because it never particularly got that warm that summer. But I, I did have my first dip uh, in this lake uh, all on my own. It's just wonderful. Uh, yep. So I went again. Uh, oh yes, that was that was that was interesting. That was uh, another. There's another big island, and I, this time I thought uh, you, you cut yourself a break, and I went on the inside of it this time, uh, and it's a very shallow bay. And I had to stop because essentially the bay dries out. So I had to, there's a place called Bell Mullet where there's, uh, there's, a, there's a canal basically. Normally you wouldn't be able to get past, but they built this canal. So I had to time it right. So about six o'clock in the evening, I, I got there. I went to Lidl's, one of the local supermarkets, got a load of shopping. And uh, off I went again <laughs> to, try, to try, and, uh, try and get to this place. What's it called? Rinro Point, middle of nowhere. Uh, and I, I had to escape this place before I got to, uh, trapped again because the tide was now going out. So I, I just remember coming out of the bay into the open ocean again. And it was basically dark by it. <laughs> and I was going around this headland and the waves were kind of 
crashing onto the headland, and I wasn't that far away. I was thinking, this is a bit dodgy, Mr. Conroy. And, I, I, and at that stage, I couldn't do any navigation, basically. I just had to trust that uh, if when I went round the corner of this headland, I'd be able to see the, the lights of the harbour I was aiming for, which fortunately I did. So I managed to get there around about 11 a.m., you know, two or three hours after, after it got dark. Absolutely deserted. And uh, then again, the heavens opened. Uh, and I was a bit tired because I'd been planning, I don't know, 12 hours or something, and shopping and whatever. Uh, and... It was just this little kind of stone harbour with nobody around, apart from the few boats pulled up on, on the on the jetty. And I decided the best place for me to camp was actually kind of underneath the boat or as far underneath the boat as I could. I figured it wasn't going to go anywhere. And that was quite a good choice because it, it then just rained for the next 48 hours. <laughs> and I, the next morning, I was sitting under the lee of this boat. And there was a little dry patch. It was slowly got smaller and smaller and smaller <laughs> until everything was soaking, apart from my sleeping bag. Uh, and I don't know. I thought it was quite funny. Oh, and my tent broke as well at that stage. And I was, I was on Facebook trying to uh, trying to source another tent, which another tent pole, which never happened. So at that so, point, you were you were just in your sleeping bag under this boat. You weren't even. Oh no no tent. no! I I'd be tent up as well. I'd be okay. tent up as well. Yeah yeah yeah. No, that would. Uh, but but literally, it, it, oh, that's kind of the wet stuff would be. And I was really happy. <laughs> this is this is the kind of stuff I expected. You know, uh, I'd expected to uh, be suffering or not suffering, experiencing, and I was. And I was surviving it okay, so I thought that was cool. Incredible. Uh, and, and that was the next. Oh, where are we now? Uh, I do need to. So we, we are getting very remote now. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the whole west coast of Ireland is fairly sparsely populated. But uh, round from Bell Mullet to where are we going? Uh, down Patrick Head is particularly the first bit. Is there's just nothing there at all. There's these great big hills that just get cut off by the sea. Uh, so anyway, the wind. You know, I don't mind the rain, but the wind finally died down, and. I set off this big exposed paddle round round this headland. Uh, oh, that was fairly intimidating. Anyway, off I went, uh, and it that was probably the most amazing paddle of my entire life, really, because uh, although the wind died down, the rain kept going, and what it was doing it was feeding all the rivers and streams. That were pouring off these hills and just creating waterfall after waterfall along the coast. So uh and it was kind of quite foggy. 
so these amazing vistas just kind of kept looming out of the mist and I was going under waterfalls in caves uh, you know, uh, and just some of the pictures I took and which don't really give a you know, I always say that the pictures only give a kind of 10% of the experience uh, kind of re reliving it back in my mind now I was just I don't know, I just go around the corner and then my Matt George <laughs> dropping up. This is just amazing. Uh and I go around the next corner, I think this is equally amazing. Uh it's just magical, just absolutely astonishing. Uh I, I kind of stopped in this bay and uh climbed up into a cave to, to have lunch. <laughs> uh so anyway, I, after that, I then came into another little harbour. I said hello to a fisherman. Uh, <laughs> had this hor horrible kind of but protected kind of concrete. I was on concrete with a concrete wall behind me and another boat the other side. And I just hunkered down because the weather was going to get really bad. Uh, and I, I was stuck there for couple of days that it was it was quite funny because it's a sort of dead end and every two or three hours during the day a, a car would appear with some tourists who get out <laughs> and kind of wander around and i was the only person there so we'd end up saying hello and it kind of it felt like i was the local tourist attraction uh, i got to know the fishermen there uh and then this suddenly out of nowhere, this guy appeared, Peter Burke, uh, who's a local local farmer, and he was just fascinated by my tent. Uh, and he must be, oh, I don't know, 60, 70. Uh, and he was asking me all these questions, and he said, Why didn't you come up to my farm? Because uh, there was no shops or anything. <laughs> I was just, uh, in fact, somebody has spotted me on Facebook, uh, and he, he came came to see me, brought me sausage rolls and uh, various food items, which was very nice. Uh, so anyway, P Peter said, I'll come and pick you up this evening. And he took me back to his farm and gave me a tour of his farm. And, he showed, and he'd stopped farming now, but he still had horses and goats and things. So I got to see all those. Uh, and he absolutely loved those. He was telling me all his life experience, how he used to be a salmon fisherman, fished all over the world, I mean, fished locally. He had, he said he had 200, he, he could name 200 rocks. Just incredible. <laughs> and, and then he kind of pointed up the hill and he said, uh, you see those lines where, the kind of strips where the Peter, Peter got, he said, oh, me and my dad cut all that, all that turf. And he had a huge pile of turf, you know, I don't know, 15 foot high and 30 foot long. And he said, I've, I've cut that. I've stacked it all to dry myself. And uh, there's not many people know this technique anymore because it's dying in art. And he took me back and saw his wife. And uh, <laughs> as another pattern, I had this marathon food session. They know how to feed a man, potato and lamb. Uh, so that, that that was that was great memories, and it, he was just such a lovely guy. And he, 
Well, he came. He said, he kept saying, you're a great man, Mike Conroy. <laughs> so, that's, uh, that's incredible. He sounds like a real, a real man of, of the earth, you know, with real skills. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's just this kind of, you know, if I, if I was a TV producer, I, I would, you know, go and uh, seek him out. You could make a, a whole program, you know, about his life and, and his history, etc. Uh, uh, yeah, absolute character. Lovely, lovely chap and his wife. Uh, and he kept texting me guy, every once in a while to see us getting on, <laughs> which is lovely. So, uh, so I thought, wow, well, that was a, such an amazing day. I won't have, I'll, I'll never see the like of that again. And I set off again after my little stop. And the next bit of coast line was almost equally as beautiful. Uh, so that was great. Uh, and then I had to go past this, uh, this sticky out bit called Down Patrick Head, which is a really spectacular, kind of a bit like the Cliff Samoa. Uh, and there's a local lass called Evie Stabler, who's a, a vet and a kite surfer, which is quite, quite a combination. And she said, uh, she said, why don't you go through the cave? And I thought, ooh. But, <laughs> okay, I'll think about it. And then someone else said, on no circumstances, go through the cave, uh, <laughs> which, which is not just a cave, it's a 300-metre tunnel. Wow. Uh, because, uh, uh, you know, last year someone got stuck in it, and they got stuck in it for a whole, a whole 24 hours, and then to be rescued and all that malarkey. So I thought, nah, I'm not going to go through a cave. It's not very sensible. Uh, <laughs> in addition, someone else had uh, spotted me on, on Facebook and they said, oh, do you want some food? Uh, and this is a, a lady who lives just around the corner from Down Patrick who's got a bit of re reputation because she's, she's a good photographer. So, uh, and lo and behold, as I as I went towards this headland with these incredible cliffs. I, I saw a little figure waving to me, so she'd come out with a, a camera to take photographs. Uh, and there's, there's a lovely, great big sea stack off there, and I kind of was hanging out there. Uh, she was taking her photographs. And I thought, off I go. I need to I need to kind of meet her for lunch. <laughs> I just, I couldn't see this cave anywhere. And then suddenly I did see it. And I, I thought, and there was, there was some quite big surf coming in, or big swell. Uh, I thought, no. And then I saw the light at the other edge. I saw the light at the other end of the tunnel. Uh, honestly, before I knew it, I, I didn't make a conscious decision. I didn't. My subconscious said, you're going through there. And I was paddling, and I was going, my conscious mind was going, what is going on here? And I thought, well, I'll go with it. So we kind of swooped into this tunnel, uh, and it's like paving, but in a boat. And I didn't have a helmet on or anything. And it was, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, describing it now, it sounds quite nutty. Uh, but I, I thought, yeah, I'm kind of in control. It's going to be all right. And, uh, and it was, yeah. Be, 
I didn't want to go in there because I didn't have a torch hand or anything like that. So I could see the other end. It's very straight. So, uh, and there was just enough headroom and there was just enough kind of panel room to get through it. But that was pretty crazy. And... I, I think that's that's kind of a characteristic that a lot of adventurers share where you maybe look at something, oh, that's a little too dangerous. It's, you know, I'm not going to do that. And then you get there and it's like, I'll stick my foot in, you know, I'll, I'll, test, <laughs> I'll test the waters. And then you end up doing it. I love that. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of, I try not to do that too much because it's, uh, you can't get into trouble like that. So I, I reckon I did the right uh, risk assessment, really. So uh, and I, I'm glad I did. So anyway, I got to meet, uh, I got to meet the very nice lady who fed me huge amounts of meat again. <laughs> I want to call this the steak coast or something because I had so much uh, food there. Uh, anyway, it's kind of rinse and repeat. Every time I stopped, uh, which is quite frequent now because the weather was pretty dodgy actually uh i tended to get stuck for a couple of days uh i'll work my way around uh oh what's it called again the the kind of biggest uh kind of mountainy hilly bit which is quite famous can't remember what it's called a while since I've been here. Did you notice a difference in the kind of hospitality between your your English trip and your Irish trip? Oh yes. Well, I, I noticed a difference in hospitality, big time between Western Ireland and Eastern Eastern Ireland, actually. Uh, so I I would call it not so much a cultural thing between countries as a cultural thing between town and country and what well, yeah for it's worth my theory is uh you know the epitome of of town is is the the tube in london where you stack people on top of each other uh going to work day by day and they're, they're literally if you're standing on a tube train you're literally can be three inches away from someone else's face, which is, you know, not something people do socially uh, with strangers. So you people develop all these techniques for totally ignoring the person in front of them. Uh, and whereas on the West Country, if anyone saw you, they'd, they'd almost certainly come over and say hello and there was, a, there was a kind of that they, they want to know where you're from and they want to know about your family and it, you know it's really nice I, I found that nice it wasn't intrusive whereas over on the east coast you might find 10 people would just they just blank you they walk past with their dogs or whatever totally blank you and even if you went to, to uh, say hello to them, you know, they kind of give you a bit of a funny look. Uh, and then, then the 11th person would come over and they'd be lovely and have a great chat and that'd be wonderful. Uh, but definitely a contrast.
Did you have any interesting reactions when uh, people found out you were English? Um, when I was over in Ireland, most people thought I was American because of my accent. And so there was always Yeah, I can imagine. lots of joking around about that. Uh, yeah, oh, actually, from from reading one of the, one of the earlier books of uh, a team of British guys who went, uh, they actually went around the whole of Britain and Ireland in one one fell swoop. Uh, when they got to the Northern Ireland Irish coast, and I guess that was. That was when the troubles were, you know, pretty much in full 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 swing. I described it as this oh horrid kind of place, dark and grim and forbidding and unwelcoming. So it was it was with a bit of trepidation that uh, I kind of went there. But well, before I set off, you know, but having experienced the, you know, the southern half of Western Ireland, I had. I had no doubts that people would be lovely, and, and they were. So, uh, anyway, good question. Good question. So, you get the picture, though. I I was... Uh, what, what I loved about it, uh, going along the uh, west of Ireland, it progressively got more spectacular. Uh, so, just when you... You thought they couldn't. You couldn't turn up the volume. It it just became more impressive, uh, and uh, I had a few experiences. Well, what I call sky cinema, uh, and that is that is the beauty of of the shall we say mixed weather is you're getting storm clouds alternating with. With sun and then you get rainbows and towering clouds that are moving and uh, they include the sun and the sun rises above the clouds uh, and that's either coming you know, the sun's shining across water or sh shining uh, over the land and it's it's just staggeringly beautiful just uh, and. <laughs> If you're paddling long distances A to B, uh, you've got nothing else to do but just just to sit there immersed for hours watching it. And and it's, it's that immersion in the environment which is which is pretty unique, I think, in the kayak because you've got no you've got no motors, you've got no noise. apart from the kind of natural noises. And particularly if you're on your own, I think you've got to be on your own to really feel that. Uh, it's uh, it's quite, yeah, quite unique. Yeah, Yeah, it's no good. doubt. And there's, it's also a different, you're seeing everything from a different angle. Like I can only imagine seeing the clips of more from underneath as opposed to just looking down, you know, it must be just incredible. Well, 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 it well it is, and uh, and it's also, and this is one of a, a bit of advice I picked up. I hadn't gone out of my way to research what these things were like, so it really was a surprise. And sometimes, particularly, 
going around the headland is is like uh, you know peeking over a mountain. You get to the top of a mountain, and suddenly this great view opens out. Uh, and in, in the case of circumnavigation, that great view is what you're going to be doing in the next two or three days. And uh, you know, I, I remember late in one evening, rays of sunlight illuminating these crags that were, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 miles away. And I'm thinking, well, I can't believe how awesome that is. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, you're going there. <laughs> it's just fantastic. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's just, it just kept on giving. Uh, so I, I finally yeah, proceeded in that way. Uh, the islands were starting to run out by then. Uh, to the place called Malinhead, which is, yeah, I guess it's the northernmost uh, tip of, of Ireland, right in the middle. Uh, again, notorious because of the the position where it is. It's very, very exposed. Uh, and that was quite interesting. Uh, I, remember, <laughs> I, I remember going around there thinking, whoa, this... This is no mistakes, uh, and I expected to go around the corner and, and it to, to to lessen the size of the waves, but they didn't. Not until I kind of pulled into a harbour, uh, and so yeah, that was that was it wasn't hairy, but you just you're just out there with the elements. You're thinking no mistakes here. You know, you just got to keep. It keeps you awake. It keeps you. It's like, yeah, it's not that similar for, uh, what was it, going down the hill on a, a on a bike. You know, you've just got to stay on your toes all the time. So it's very absorbing. Uh, and that was quite fun because uh, near Mountainhead, there's a one of the main coast guard stations, and one of my pleasures had had been. Uh, reporting to the Irish Coast Guard because they're lovely. Uh, they're a bit more friendly than the English lot, to be honest. Because it's just a lot smaller. You know, the, the English lot, you know, they're, they're great guys, but they run a bit like a, a bit like a police force or a corporation. They're, they're a bit more corporate. Thank you so much for listening to part two of my chat with Mike Conroy. I hope you enjoyed this one and look forward to sharing the final part of this discussion uh, where he finishes up his circumnavigation of Ireland. Until then, you can go check out his Facebook, which I'll link to in the description. And other than that, peace and love. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.